Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast, your source for transformational preaching, uplifting testimonies, and authentic conversations about how we can grow our relationship with Jesus Christ and live out His purpose. In this episode, you'll continue hearing from legendary missionary Martha Burton as she tells her and her husband's story about how they impacted the country of Venezuela with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that you will be blessed and inspired to do the will of God in your life as you listen to their story. Okay, I left you when we were talking about San Cristobal, which was the first little town that was such a picturesque little town. But it was on the uh, west side close to Columbia. So we were only there about a year and a half. We did accomplish a lot. When we first went there, the church was in a house, and they bought property. So before we left, they had started a building, which now is different, but it's the same property, has one of the prettiest churches we own. And um, there were two people that came in that we... uh, Especially my husband poured everything into them. Uh, They were both very young. One was from Sicily, who had come there and had started to do, uh, he was a master in construction, and he had gotten, uh, that work had played out some way or other, and he was working on uh, what they call Quinta, which was a a nice house. And he had met some... um, some of our saints, one was uh, a preacher that was working because he, had his, he needed the money. And so he told Brother Mota, he said, uh, you really need Jesus in your life. And Brother Mota thought, I don't need it. I, I'm a fine. I've got everything I want. And I don't need it. And uh, so later on, uh, I guess... BNC was a preacher, he was talking to several of them, so he let him go because he was over the work. And uh, so there was another one there that was of the church too, so uh, he invited him to go to church. And he was actually living with a woman, although he wasn't married to her. So um, he, did, he did go to church, and... Uh, it wasn't what he expected, so he thought, mm. But he got up one morning to say his prayers, and I don't know, he was probably raised Catholic, and um, he said he's seen this vision where he saw a light, and he, he said he saw an image, but it was like a silhouette, and it scared him so bad. And uh, so he said he cried out to to the Lord, and when he did, the light came brighter, but then it faded away, so he thought this, he told the man at work, and he said, well, that's from God, you need to go to church, so he went again, and and, uh, finally, after a lot, and honestly, uh, he would come to the house, my my husband was teaching him and Brother Isidro both at that time, because we didn't have a Bible school, and so we, we poured a lot of time into both of them. What I wanted to say was, what you invest in people always pays off. Yes. 
Uh, Brother Isidro Supignan was our first president after the work was naturalized. And Brother Mota was uh, the second one that was uh, over the work. So, you know, the time you put in people sometimes, and I know when Brother Mota first came, he would ask questions that I would think, oh my goodness, where is he coming from? I mean, what in the world? But you know, you could see when sometimes you would teach, you could just see a light come on his face. And uh, you knew that, that, you know, that was penetrating, that God was opening their understanding. And I would put him up against anybody on the oneness of God, because that's his specialty. And uh, so, you know, uh, when we left there, we was only about a year and a half there, and my husband felt like we needed to, uh, to put the work more central. So we moved to Barky Cemento. Actually, we lived in several cities when we were starting things. So uh, Barky Cemento, we went there and uh, we were meeting in a house, which was uh, the Mesa's, Brother and Sister Mesa, which had received the word in Colombia. And uh, they had uh, moved with the idea of to evangelize in Venezuela. So we, they had one family that was coming, and uh, that was a familia, the Goyos was their name. I don't want to say a word in Spanish because it'll just trip me off, and I've already done it. So uh, it was, uh, the family was called Goyos, and they had several children, I think about nine. And uh, we started a Sunday school in their house. Yes, and with my five, it made quite a move. I had five at the time. Most still wasn't born. So um, what I was going to say, the family was very um, uh, hard to deal with. And that little boy, oh, my goodness, when I tried to teach, he was that character. And so... I said, you're not standing, that's clocks. I put him outside the door. I think I sent him to his mother and dad, and they couldn't handle him, so I would put him outside the door. That was the type of family it was. The oldest boy, uh, we started uh, really making inroads on him. The family was very poor, and um, the father was not really uh, taking his responsibilities. Uh, he didn't. He wanted to sell things like on the street, something he would buy and charge more, you know. So there wasn't enough food for him, things like that. So we were giving clothes to the kids, and um, Brother Cedro uh, found Brother Goyo a job. Well, he went one day, and uh, it was pulling nails out in a construction they were doing. All he had to do was pull the nails out. Well, he told Brother Isidro, God didn't mean any for his children to work that hard. <laughs> so you know what we were facing on that. <laughs> when we left, the older boy I had such hopes for. And when we came back, we went home on deputation, was gone about a year. We'd already been in, when that happened, we'd already been in Venezuela, uh, 
about five years before we went home the first time. And uh, when we got back, I found out that he had moved to Caracas, was running with a gang, and had robbed the bank. When he went in, they shot him. So you always feel bad. Well, along with the good things comes the bad things, you know, but you, it, you can't let it stop you. You yeah. sow the seed. When you yeah. sow the seed, you can plant and you can water, but it's God that gives the increase. And you can't worry about the results. If you start worrying about the results, trying to, trying to judge what you're doing by the results, you can't. All, all God has called us to do is to plant and to water and to teach. And the increase comes from God. So, after we uh, got out of Brother and Sister Mesa's home, which uh, we tried to do very quickly, uh, we rented a building, and uh, that was quite a challenge. <laughs> we built our own uh, benches, and uh, they were very long, so we had some very heavy people. And we came, and the, and the attendance really started to grow. So we had a full house, and, we, and this whole bench was crowded. I don't know how many people were on it, but a lot. And all of a sudden, we could see the ones going over, you know. And all of a sudden, bang! The bench goes down, you know. <laughs> That was one of the funny things, but uh, some of the other ones weren't so funny. Well, I, we would do Dorcas in there, which was the ladies' meetings, and they didn't want us there in the neighborhood. So they would throw in dead chickens or whatever, you know, or rocks. And uh, one night, the gang was outside, a gang, and my husband, bless his heart, <laughs> he gave he, he finds a guy that's got looks like the leader. He's wearing a yellow, uh, one of these leather black jackets, and so he pulls him out and starts talking to him. And um, so, one way or another, uh, the boy took to Brother Bergen, and uh, so he told my husband. He said, "Listen, if you have any trouble with these people, you just let me know." And from that time on, we had peace in that neighborhood because <laughs> the gang was for us. <laughs> oh, boy. And then um, we bought a lot, and we, were, we started. We're at the churches today, by the way. And uh, we bought it from an older man that was in the church, at least we thought he was. And uh, we had paid for the lot. And uh, there, if somebody's... On the lot, you, they can take squatters' rights, you know, and it's hard to get them off. So we had already paid for it, and he had moved away. And Brother C was supposed to put a good lock on, on the little shack that was there. That's all it was. It, was, it wasn't even a good house. Uh, it was livable, but that's about all you could say for it. And not even um, by our standards, it wouldn't be livable. But anyway, um, he had gotten so busy. He was always busy. Do you know Brother Cedro? He's always busy. He, he moves all the time. And so he had been too busy and hadn't done it. And this, I won't say brother, this man 
moved back with his um, woman that he was living with because now even though he was 60 or 70, he had money from the lot. So now he had a woman, and so he moved back into this little um, rancho. I guess you understand that word, rancho. So Brother Isidro will come to tell my husband. So my husband's sitting there saying, well, what we're going to do and this and that and tomorrow. And Brother Cedro says, he's here. He's here. <laughs> he said, I thought we were going to work. No. He says, I'll take care of this. He goes in there and he says, um, oh, the, the man says, and he's a, an old man, you know. He says, he says, Oh, the police won't won't get you off. He they won't get me out of there. He said, Police, I don't need police. Me and his hero will be there tomorrow. We'll put you out in the street. You better have your stuff out of there. I guess there's times when you have to take things. So the next morning they went and set him out in the street. Oh, that was a good start, you know. Well, anyway, that was one of the things that happened in Barky Samantha, but we do have a church there today, thank goodness. Uh, by the way, some of our inheritance money went in there. We, uh, my husband had what he called foster parents that had some money, and they had orange groves in Florida. So they had helped us through Bible school. They had helped him, so he was getting army help, so I went to Bible school and what was, help, you know, the help from his foster parents. They didn't have kids. So we asked if they could help on the construction of Archismato. Well, they sent us $3,000, but they didn't tell us it was our inheritance until after we had asked something for something else and said, well, well, um, we already give you your inheritance. And so they said, well, couldn't have put in a better place. But then um, my husband was having problems with cataracts, and he was only 37. Now, if you knew my husband, he was bald-headed. And he was bald-headed almost a little after we were married. I mean, it was getting very thin up there, you know? And... Uh, so he looked older than what he was. So when he went into, uh, we had friends that were in Columbia, brother and sister Morley, uh, brother and sister Thompson. She was uh, English and he was Irish. They were a case. <laughs> she couldn't hear, so she had hearing aids, and he couldn't see. <laughs> so. So we had them over, but they knew, her Spanish was beautiful, beautiful, and they lived in Bogota. So they had come over for a meeting, and they said, no, you've got to come over, have your operation there. There's this evangelical tr uh, clinic. You can stay at our house, um, and the world-famous doctor from, from Spain, Baracal, is there, and, and you can't get a better doctor. He's world-famous. Okay, so we get ready and take our family over there. And uh, we get there, and Bartikel, uh does his... I think we just went the two of us because there was a wedding 
at the same time our daughter was getting married. So somebody was watching the kids. I don't remember who at that time. <laughs> anyway, we did the test there. I mean, he went in and had the interview with Barakel. But my husband says, well, if it's going to take that long, I'll have to go home and set things up. They were also in the construction of the church in Berkey Smento at this time. By the way, he was running into everything and taking people home at night and couldn't see where it was going. And when we had people, you know, they would put big sand piles in the street when they were doing construction. He ran into that thing about three times. And I said, Jim, can't you see that? He says, I don't know. I can't remember. I've hit it three times today. So, you know, I mean, it was really desperate. We really needed to do this. So anyway, we said, well, we'll go back and we'll go back and over. And I said, um, we got everything in order and went back. And wouldn't you know, Bartikel isn't there. He's on vacation. So Brother uh, Thompson said, well, I've had Dr. Chevelle, and he speaks perfect English. I think, I think you would like him. You go see him. So he did. He went in, and Dr. Chevelle's looking at him and said, you know what, I'm going to order another test for you. So he did, and when he came back, and Brother Burton went in for the report, he said, I wouldn't operate on you for all the Golden Fort Knox. And my husband looks at me, he said, because you have an infection, he said, you can just thank your lucky stars that Barakel didn't operate on you, because he had a technique, he did both eyes, operated standing up. He said, you'd be a blind man today because you have a germ in your body that would not allow it to heal. And he said, I'm one of the few doctors that know it because I was in the U.S. and worked with, the doc with uh, soldiers that were young and were having cataracts. And he said, that's why I was suspicious that you were only 37 and had these cataracts. He said, but you're just... And I thought, lucky stars know it's God. My husband would have been blind. And, you know, we thought, oh, we were so let down mm -hmm. when Bartikel wasn't there. You know, this yeah. special doctor, this world-famous doctor was not there. And then to get the doctor, the only probably doctor in, the, in a few, in all of them you can think of, because yeah. he'd done this special study with soldiers that would know. Yeah. You know, when he looked at him and said 37, even though he had a bald head, you know. Um, that, you know, God is always good. God always comes through right when you need him. Well, that was one of the other things that happened in Barkley Smetho. Another thing, I, uh, I was having my sixth child. And uh, I had gone to a special clinic. There, the clinic is the one you pay for special care. And uh, I had always gone with my husband in the car. So I didn't know the address of the place. But anyway, I was supposed to preach at Dorcas. So I uh, had made dinner. I had made a good Venezuelan dinner. Rice, black beans, carne machado, uh, fried platanos. You name it, we had it. And I ate a big meal. 
and I was getting ready to go to Dorcas, and I was supposed to do when it preached. We had a girl that helped in the house because I was doing homeschooling, and um, that made it interesting, several grades to teach at once. And uh, so I said to Levi, I said, I'm not feeling well. I, I, I just, I feel terrible. I didn't realize it was my page out. I didn't realize. So I said, I think you better go and tell him to pray for me. And um, uh, because I'm just not feeling up to going. So she no, more, no sooner left the house. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I know what this is. And I wasn't expecting it because it was, he was seven months. It was seven months. My husband was out doing a, a, a trip to different churches because he wanted to be home when I had the baby. So he was not at home either. So I'm there with six, five kids. Lonnie is the oldest, 12. And... Um, so I said, well, you're in charge. And I went next door because I had to call a taxi. Well, we were friends with the neighbors. They were Venezuelans, but very nice, very uh, servicial, very helpful. <laughs> and uh, so they said, we'll call, we'll call them. Uh, you want my wife to go with me? Well, I had no idea. Yeah, what goes on in Venezuela when you have a baby. So I said, no, I'm fine. I didn't even know the address, so I got in the taxi, and it really, I do not know what the address is to this clinic. So I'm saying, I'll tell you how to get there, you know. And so I'm laying back there, and he's... <laughs> he knew me. Years later, when I got in the <laughs> I did not remember him, but he remembered me. I guess he did, because when we got there, he takes my suitcase, puts it on the, on the, on the curb, and drives away. <laughs> there I am, you know. Drag my little suitcase in there, and I don't know what was in it, because I had no baby clothes ready. I had, no, I had my own clothes, you know, on. I finally get in there, and there's a, somebody on the phone talking and talking and laughing and talking and talking and laughing. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and sitting there. I'm very timid when it comes to things like that, but I got to the place where it's, you've got to help me. I'm having a baby. She says, well, who's your doctor? I said, Dr. Andres. Oh, he's not here. You'll have to give me another name of another doctor. I don't know another name. <laughs> well, I'm just filling in here. <laughs> oh, goodness. She puts me in a room, takes off. Here I am having a baby in, on, in this room, and nobody knows I'm in there. Found out the baby was coming breach. I'm holding on to the bed around. And in walks this woman, and she says, Hey, what in the world's going on here? I thought this is my daughter's room. I said, I'm having a baby. Nobody knows it. Okay, she says, I'll get you a doctor. <laughs> she goes downstairs and pulls one of the doctors out <laughs> and brings her up. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm still in my street clothes. 
And finally one, and, and I'm freezing. I'm freezing. I think I was in shock. And I'm freezing. I'm saying, please give me something. Give me a cover. No, you don't need it. That's fine. You're okay. Well, finally after having the baby, which was breach, and the placenta, the afterbirth stuck, and that was another problem. And you name it, everything that went wrong, could go wrong, went wrong. And Lewis was about five pounds, yellow as could be, had genders. Um, and so uh, the first one I went out, I felt like, you know what? I don't think I'm a child of God. This would not happen. I felt like an animal had just been thrown out. And I really felt like uh, I'm not one to pity myself usually, but I did feel like, what have I done wrong? Why is this happening? And then I remembered the story about one lady in, in, Columbia, in Columbia. I think she might, I don't know if she was a missionary or what she was, but she said that they didn't like missionaries and they were trying to kill them. I thought, oh my God, wonder if I'll ever get out of here alive. I really felt that way. Yeah. And finally, when I got uh, to my room, nobody was there, of course, and I'm just, I, I mean, I guess I'm having a pity party because I'm just feeling like nobody loves me. I'm a thousand miles. My mother don't know here. My husband doesn't know. The church doesn't know. Nobody knows. Nobody came in. There was no nurses. Nothing. And so I'm laying there just thinking, what in the world? And all of a sudden I heard the 23rd Psalms. And I'm listening. And I don't, I don't even dawn on me until I, it got to surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, where's that coming from? And there was no AP system in the place. And it, I thought, it's in English. And all of a sudden, I just, I just felt a healing touch, a warmth that I can't explain. I mean, it's like something I've never felt before, went from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I knew it must have been the Lord, because I could hear the voice just as plain as anything, reading the 23rd Psalms. And I said to the Lord, I'll never doubt you again. You know, sometimes when we have our greatest trial, becomes the greatest blessing. And you know, for several, I, I don't know how long it was. I know it's months and months. I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell anybody. I just couldn't even, I just couldn't even say anything. And then one day the Lord said, I want you to tell this. And we were at a special meeting in the states in Mississippi and the, and the pastor had cancer. And so I got up and told it. But that was because uh, God had released me to do it. And I don't know why. You know, I know there's times in the Bible where it says, um, 
where it says, don't tell anybody. And I always wondered about those things. You know, I thought, well, there must be a reason. But um, I just, I just, it, I couldn't even tell it. And then after I was released to tell it, I told it several times when the Lord just moved on me to tell it. Because it moves me yet today. And, it's, and that's been, what, 50, Lewis is in his 50 somewhere, I don't know. So it's been a while. Uh, but you know, God is so good to his people. I mean, even in the, in the dark times and even in the sad times, uh, there's a silver lining. And I thought only God can take what is, seems to be a complete uh, tragic thing and turn it into a blessing. And he can do that. Only he can do that. But uh, the time we were in uh, Venezuela, and especially in Barquisimeto, Barquisimeto was one of our favorite places. Uh, we spent several, uh, several uh, years in Barquisimeto, and... Uh, After the church was uh, very well established, there were still things that were happening. And I remembered when Brother Seedwell, we did one of our studies at our house when we first got there. The church wasn't formed yet. So he was a builder, and uh, he said, well, I'll build, I'll build some benches, and we'll just use them here. Rather than rent a place, we had a big patio uh, outside. So he was going to build these benches, and... Uh, Probably some of them, I don't know, even if everybody knows that Brother Cedro uh, had an accident. But he went, they went to get the, the lumber. Now, we didn't even know where the hospital was. We hadn't been that long in the city. So uh, they went to cut the wood, and the man got a phone call. So uh, he goes to answer the phone, and Isidro, he's going to help. So he, one of the boards stuck and he put his hand there and it was a saw that jumped and it cut his fingers right like this. And so he only had a stub here like this. And so there's blood everywhere. My husband's driving the car and the car's just floating with blood. And uh, uh, so he says, where's the hospital at? Where's the? We, we finally found the hospital, and uh, they had socialized medicine at that time. So he was wanting to know how much we could pay. And because this is going to be something special, we can't, uh, you'll have to pay. And so my husband said, well, I don't know how much is in the national fund. He wanted $1,000, and we did not have $1,000. I think the National Fund at that time had $400, which was ties from the pastors and from us. And so, and so uh, my husband said, we, I think all we can get is four or $500. Uh, I think we, think we borrowed 500 
off of Brother Malta, 100. And then we have 400 from the National Fund. And so my husband said, we only can get about $500. And uh, he, he said, oh, well, I guess that'll have to do. So he got a, a sheet. They took a sheet and wrapped his hand up and put him to the side. He says, I'm going to go eat. So um, Brother Isidro was staying with us at the time while he was recuperating, I think. Or brother, it might have been Brother Malta, and he was in a different place, but he stayed with us during that time. And he was so sad, and of course, we thought it was just the accident. And my husband was talking to him. He said, well, he says, I really, it really is sad, my hand, but he says, I won't be able to minister now. And my husband said, what do you mean? He said, well, priests can't have a blemish. And he had gone back to the Old Testament where a priest couldn't have a blemish. So we thought his ministry would be lost. But, you know, uh, it's so wonderful to know that, that people are that touched by not by losing their ministry and not their hand, you know. Uh, most of the time, Brother Cedro carries a handkerchief over his hand like this. So I don't even know if some of them. Did you know what? No, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people know it because he always uh, kept it covered. But, uh, he was another one that when he first came into church in Latria, um, he had been raised Catholic, so I don't, <coughs> I don't know why they wouldn't have realized it. But they announced they were going to have Santa Cena. <coughs> so he and his brother Mario, who was in Oregon also at that time, said, um, well, we won't eat because we're going to have this big supper. Well, when they got to it and found out it was just a little piece of bread, a little bit of wine. I don't guess they'd ever, ever, ever associated with Santa Cena. But, uh, and there were so many things like that. You know, when we first uh, had Santa Cena, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, that's what it is, I'm sorry. Um, a lot of the Catholics that had come into the church, most of them were Catholic, raised Catholic, thought that that meant it was, they could confess and everything would be forgiven, you know? So we would have to teach on that. It's not that you can do whatever you want and then just repent and do it over again, you know? That's not, the, that's not what the uh, Lord's Supper means. So we was plenty of teaching on that. Sometimes we would get Trinity groups that the women were still wearing veils. And, of course, the Catholic Church at that time was still wearing veils. Uh, that later went away, but at that time uh, it was um, very much that way. And a lot, most of the Trinity uh, Pentecostal ones were still wearing the veil. So we had to teach on that. There was a lot of teachings we had to give. Uh, I was 
the national treasure for several times. During that time, we had what we call the locha. The locha was 12 and a half cents, which can be a nightmare because you can't even make change to get to some of the numbers you come out with. But I can remember many times, you know, even when it was just a few cents I was off, I would keep trying to find where in the world is this coming. And maybe it'd be, you know, 10, pay, 10 uh, believers or something like that. You see, you'd come in, what in the world are you doing here at this late? I'm working on the books. This is not coming. Don't worry about it. You want $10? Here it is. 10 pay, uh, believers, here it is. I said, no, because if it's not balanced in here, that means there's a mistake somewhere else. And it, it just had to come out. I was just that way. You know, it's like a puzzle to me. And if the pieces didn't fit, I was going to have to keep on. So many of nights I was there uh, in the office uh, to 1 or 2 o'clock. And uh, I remember one time when I was gone, they had turned the books over to another pastor, very good pastor, but his talent wasn't bookie. <laughs> I came back and I, they told me, uh, he needs help. <laughs> I think I need help too. I'm going to need some kind of gift of discernment here. Um, I spent, I think, a whole week there trying to straighten out the books. And uh, that didn't happen just one time. It happened another time when the man was, the pastor was very capable. He just didn't take the time to do it. And what he had done was, and I went over these books, oh, I mean, I spent hours, hours, days. And it, was, it wasn't just 10 believers off. It was off. What in the world? I had gone over this. Other people had gone over it for me. We could not find it. And I, I just told the Lord, I said, I can't do anymore. I don't know what to do. And it was just as if God had told me, he said, go and see what the last thing. He had copied out of one book the totals for the next year and had copied them all wrong. Oh, thank goodness he was not close. <laughs> he lived in another city. <laughs> But I, as I told you before, many times I got voted in as treasurer. I already had things I was doing. I was already teaching kids, remember. I was already doing women's seminaries. I was already doing women's uh, meetings in, in where we lived and trips into the interior. So when they'd come out of meetings that I wasn't even in, they'd say, oh, yeah, you know what, you're treasurer again. <laughs> Oh, when did I get the vote on that? <laughs> but I've already told the Lord. I said, you know, I've done my time. <laughs> if there's bookkeeping in heaven, surely it must be simpler. Yes. <clears throat> you know, I still do wonder if there's bookkeeping in heaven. <laughs> Don't you wonder, though? Some accountant loves you, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> Well, God is not a God of, he is not a God of waste. Because when they did all those baskets and there was 12 baskets left over and all this, you know, so I know there's some kind of accountability goes on. It's making me nervous. Oh, goodness. 
uh, we were praying, and then as, uh, and Barky Smith, when we first went there, there was only that family that I told you. And uh, then we got some others. But while we were there, when we first went there, um, things were not moving in Barky Smith. I mean, they just were not. We were fasting. We were praying. Nobody coming in. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. There were drunks every night. <laughs> we had to throw up. <laughs> that, that we had. <coughs> and uh, so <coughs> we have praying, fasting, nothing happening. All of a sudden, this evangelist stops by and says, he's got a group in Guaranito, and there's no pastor there, and he wants us to go hold a... Uh, uh, special meetings, companions. And so uh, they went, Brother Cedro and my husband went, and they held meetings there. 30 was ready to be baptized. So we're saying, Lord, we're fasting and praying for Barky Smith. And nothing's happening. And this place opens up and 30 people get baptized. And uh, so... But we finally did get a break in Berkey Smith, though. Uh, it just didn't come at that time. And God has his own time and his own way of doing things, not our time. Uh, one of the times when they were going to Guadagnito, uh after they had established uh, a building there for church, it was way back in the country place. And uh, there was no no actual road uh, back in there. So if you went during the time it was dry, you ended up with looking like a, you know, you wipe your eyes out and you got dust on everywhere, but here you look like a raccoon. Uh, And then you would send somebody out in front to make sure you were on the road. Because with the dust, you couldn't tell where the road went. And there were big holes. So we had this little car that was an Opal. I think they're German-made. It was not for the country life, let me tell you. I was so glad when that car went. I shouted. I prayed for the guy that bought it. We stacked money that we were even too embarrassed to to requisition money to pay for that car because it had something wrong every week. Well, they had gone on one trip, but I was left with the service Sunday morning. So they were trying to get back for Sunday night. They had been there a couple days. And when they were on the road, it was a Sunday, Sunday morning, and they got so far, uh, Brother Caesar says, I think we got a flat tire. And Brother Burton says, I'm afraid it's not a flat tire. The tire had come off completely. And rolled over into the thing. So they're out in the middle of nowhere on a Sunday. And my husband starts praying. Brother Isidro flagged down a, a, bu- a bus that had gone by and he had left. So my husband's there praying. Hardly no traffic because the road, you know, was so bad. Nobody wanted to be on it. So... He said within an hour or so, this, this car stops. And he said, it looks like you got trouble. He said, I sure do. And uh, 
He said, well, you're in luck. I'm a mechanic. So he went and gets a wheel, and my husband said, well, I don't think I've got any nuts and bolts. He says, hmm, funny thing, I just picked up four of them today. So he puts the wheel on and gets it fixed, and my husband says, how much do I owe you? Because he didn't have much left. He said, I think I got $5. And the man said, huh, not a, I don't expect you, I don't want you to pay. I just want you to help the next person that's in trouble. And he drove off. So my husband thought that it was an angel. We don't know. But Brother Isidro comes back and he said, I can't find anybody. He couldn't find anybody. Brother Burton said, well, you don't have to. The car's fixed. <laughs> But there was no mechanics for Sunday. That was Guaranito out in the. We did one of some of the trips down on the river on there too. It was um, like a tree hollowed out, and they would stack stuff on there, you know. So a lot of them would sink, and a lot of times, if the water was low, it would capsize because you would hit things. So you were always taking your life in your hands, besides the alligators that were in there. And I wasn't a very good swimmer. I think I would have been pretty good if we had steam on But I didn't learn to swim until I was 40, and I'm still not a very good swimmer. My kids could all swim, but not at that time. They were small. But uh, we went down into certain places where they were so amazed to see Americans because they said even the priests won't come here. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter where, where you were as long as God was opening doors, you know. And the people were so appreciative to see you back there. I mean, knowing that their priests wouldn't come back there made an impact on them. And uh, it was in places where actually... Guadagnito, I've gone in when you thought the wall was black and it was mosquitoes. So, so needless to say, you always took what you could. You were good. You were glad to be holiness then, you know, down to here and up to here. <laughs> because you probably end up with several mosquito bites. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I did tell you about um, Batati, which was uh, a place that was not Caracas, but it was close to Caracas. It was one of the barrios. And when we first went there, that's where the pastor that I said um, in Colombia killed people and drank their blood. It was he and another brother. Both of them were from that group. One of them is still in the church today. But this pastor, at least, had started the church there, and I told you about how he had fallen in sin and tried to take the church. But um, I remember when we first went there, uh, we would have these army cots, and we'd put two kids on them because they were small, one on the side and one on the other side. And it would be so cold in the mornings. It was coming up in the mountains at that time. There was no buildings, nothing to stop it. And her kids would be crying. I think, oh my goodness, it must be cold. I'm cold. And that, you know, with a cot, the air comes up from the cement on the floor there. There was nothing to stop it. 
And I, I remember giving her blankets to the kids because I felt like they must be cold. But what I remember the most was she would make this soup that had bread in it. And I think I could have made it hot. I don't like anything soggy. I think I could have eaten it hot. But she would sit it out and wait until it got cold and then call us. And I thought, oh, God, I hope my kids are hungry because I'm never going to make it through with this. And when they would leave, I'd always pass it over to my kids. It was my good. They liked uh, Malta. Malta is kind of like near beer. It's just beer that's not been fermented. That's what Malta is to me. Brother Pasley said when he was there, we let him taste Malta. He said, don't you see right on there? It says sin alcohol. Sin, sin. And of course, sin means without alcohol. But he said saying it's sin. I said, I agree with you, brother. Preach it. But they would try, you know, sometimes it was more expensive than pop. So, I mean, they were honoring us. But I had a few kids that liked it. Thank goodness. Chrissy likes it. I still buy it. <laughs> and when I pass it around, <laughs> give me that empty <laughs> But uh, Oh, there's funny things that happen, you know, and I, that was one of my, Brother Pazzi was so funny there. He's, sin alcohol. Damn, I'm some sin alcohol. <laughs> but there was a few things food-wise that was hard. Uh, even things I learned to like, because when we first got off the boat, we ate there in Maracaibo, and uh, Brother Baitin and his wife had fixed a good meal. And um, so it, there was yucca, and I had never eaten yucca. And it was just boiled, you know. There wasn't no natta or anything to put on it. It wasn't fried or anything like that. It was just in the soup. I thought, whatever this is, it grows bigger. And I put it in my mouth and I thought, it, it's pure starch. You have to admit that. And I thought, the more I chewed it, the bigger it got. And I thought, well, if I don't swallow it now, I'll never. <laughs> so I finally got it down. I love yucca now. I've really gotten used to it, especially fried and with the natto on it. But I can even take it in soup. I like it. It's just getting used to it. And then they had the black beans, which I was very suspicious of. <laughs> I thought, those just don't look appetizing. They didn't look appetizing to me. I've seen red beans, white beans, what all colors, beans, pink beans, but I have never seen black beans. And I, I was just very suspicious of them. But what I liked the most was arepas. I really have, uh, it's almost like grits, only it's, probably firmer and they would they pat it out and they make you can make them big and flat you can make them small and fried you can make them this size and bake them you can grill them whatever and they use that like for their sandwiches is it cornmeal based yes white well there's yellow too white is more popular and you usually buy it pre-cooked um and so you can still get it here Jungle Gems, whatever, even Kroger sell it. Uh, I still make arepas. I don't make as many because of my diet with 
the sugar problem, but um, I love a Revis. Now, my husband said he did, but if they didn't have something in the middle, he didn't like them. But I can eat mine with just pure butter. Oh, I can. <laughs> Cheese is better, but I'll take it with butter. I, I mean, I just love them. They're good. But there were some things I just never, you know, you ne I would try anything. Um, they uh, tried me with armadillo. And I ate that until I found out there was a problem that, that it could cause uh, problems with your stomach. They said cancer and stuff. So uh, I don't know why because they don't, I think they only, no, it's the lizards that only eat green stuff. I did eat lizard, too. Um, I, I ate lizard eggs, which they kind of toast, and it's just yellow. There's no white in it. Kind of rubbery, but it'll go down. Um, the lizard uh, iguanas, uh, I knew they were going to... I was pretty suspicious of it. It looked like chicken, you know. They pulled it apart and it had uh, kind of stewed like with tomatoes and onions. I tasted it. It was pretty good. They said, you know what you're eating? I said, yeah, I think it's lizard. But uh, you could pass it off for chicken if somebody wasn't really, uh, really knowing what they were eating. We had a visitor came over when uh, one of the boys' teenagers, and they had... He, he was very suspicious, and they stopped at this one place to eat empanadas, which is, you know, like a little meat pie. And he says, I know you guys are, I know that's got something in it I'm not supposed to eat. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was just plain, it was just plain meat, but he was insisting there was something in there he shouldn't eat. <laughs> He's just expecting kids to play something on him. But usually the food was pretty good. There were some things I never got to eat, and that was lapa. I always wanted to eat lapa, which was something that was kind of getting extinct. It was hard to find. I did eat chihuahua, which uh, is like a big beaver, much, much bigger than a beaver. They come probably 50 or 60 pounds, so they're big. Yeah, and I've eaten those. They were pretty good. Well, I think we better stop for tonight, and I'll put the rest of it on for the next time. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. We pray that this episode was a great blessing to your life and inspires you to live out the will of God at any cost. You can find out more information about the Calvary Church at thecalvarychurch.com. We hope to see you soon. God bless.